Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray and thank you for your word. The 66 books of the Bible, which are uh, inerrant and infallible, meaning they uh, are, will never be proven wrong. And uh, they, what they say is true and is always true. And so, Lord, we come to your word humbly and we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us and would uh, instruct us and encourage us. And Lord, pray for, I pray for myself that you would use this broken vessel for your glory today. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we've all experienced it. You've uh, been at your phone or on your computer or maybe some other device. And, and it starts to not operate like you would like. Or it starts to freeze up or... Back in the day, if, if you had a PC, it was the, the blue screen of death. Or if you're a Mac user, it's the little rainbow wheel, the rainbow wheel of death or whatever. And, and so maybe you would uh, call a tech support or somebody, and they're going to tell you to do something that hopefully you've thought to do already, but they're going to tell you to do something. Turn off the machine and turn it back on. Right? They're going to tell you to reboot the system. They're going to tell you to kind of shut it down and, and, and start over. And you ever, you, you ever wondered why? Have you ever thought of, like, why would they do that? I mean, have you ever thought about the technical reasons why? Probably most of us haven't. 
It just seems to have like this miraculous effect or whatever, right? But, it, you know, it puts things back in where they need to be and restarts things or whatever. But um, here's, here's the reality is I think we face that same frustration, that same struggle sometimes in our lives when things aren't going the way they should or we're in a bad place or so on. And, and we just sometimes you just wish you could just turn off the system for a little bit and turn it back on. There's a Jack Johnson song, I Wish This Old Train Would, would Break Down. And it's, it's basically the whole song is about, I wish, I wish this thing would just, just stop for a little while, just break down so we can just chill. And I know him, he wants to be on the beach, maybe surf a little while, while they're chilling, right? It just, this, it just seems like things are just going and going and going, and there's just never a, a stopping point. And so um, the next several weeks, we're going to be doing a series I'm going to call Refresh, which means to restore strength. An animation, uh, to, to renovate, to revive, to restore. And I don't know whether you're a believer or not a believer, who, wherever in life, I think there's these points in our lives we get to a point where I, I just need a restart. I need, a, I need, a, I need a, just at least a refresh. So let me ask you, where are you right now? Have you made a mess of things in your life? Do you feel stuck? You know, you, are you ready? Do you just feel like you just want to be able to start over and just start fresh again? I don't know about you guys, but I get there very often. And frankly, I feel like that these days. I wish I could just stop, hit pause, refresh, restart, and so on. Um, but like, so how do we do that? How do we get, how do we start anew? How do we... How do we get back? Well, we could do it in a whole bunch of different ways. We could, we could go to the bookstore and you can buy a new book, you know, uh, a, a new diet plan, a new exercise plan, some self-help, some new steps of how to organize your life, how to, how to re- reinvigorate your relationships or your marriage or whatever it might be. You know, we could go through all of that. And there's probably seminars and classes that we could take or whatever, but... Let me just tell you, there is one genuine, tried and true way to get that refresh. And that is to return to God. Is to come back to God. And and He calls us to do that. And so, there's a call. We see that, first of all, there's there's a need. We need to see the need, the call, and the way to be refreshed. So let's look at those real quick. And this is, we're going to see is all of this laid out in the first couple of verses in Psalm 51 here. So first of all, there's a need to be refreshed. There's a need to be refreshed. And you see that right away, the language that the, the psalmist David here, King David, uses. He uses terminology like, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly, cleanse me all these are phrases that are like can't we just start over can't we just get a blank slate Wait, can't we just hit reset don't you ever get to a point where you're just like i would just love a reset wish i could take those words back we're going to take those actions back those thoughts i wish i could make those choices again i wish i wish i wish and that's where david is and david is, re- is requesting that God, this is a prayer, that he's requesting that God would take what he has done 
what he is and erase it and start again. A refresh, a reboot. So verses 1 and 2 here about getting a restart, a refresh. Getting a blank state, slate, starting over, washing away a marred past and receiving a new future. So why is David here? Well, if, if you look at this psalm, there's a title to a lot of these psalms. And, and there's, there are titles in the Bible, chapter headings, that are inserted much later by either people who have translated or put the Bible together, whatever. But a lot of these psalms have title headings that are supposed to be and are a part of the original. And if you look, before verse 1, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, this is striking to me. Okay, let's just stop here. For one, one, one thing, the, what, these psalms weren't like a private book somewhere that we found of David's. Like a secret, like, this isn't his diary that somebody hacked into. Okay, this is, notice it says, to the choir master. These psalms were designed for the public worship of God's people. And the title heading is, when he went into Bathsheba. This is a scandalous story. I'm going to recap that here in just a second. But this, so this, this whole psalm is like based in uh, the moral failure of God's people's leader, David. And let me just stop there and just say... Um, this is one of the places that really just makes the Bible, for me, uh, seem and, and appear to be, at least, very authentic. Think about it. If this, if this was just written by some people trying to manipulate or just create a history and making this stuff up or whatever, why would you include this stuff? You know, if, if you're creating, you're, you're trying to create a system, you're trying to create a religion, and you're trying to get people to conform to that religion or whatever, you want the leaders to look really good. You want the leaders to be not, you know, you want them to almost be up on this pedestal somewhere, not what's going to be described or what we know of the history here. The, uh, the Bible is so ruthlessly honest about its leaders. So, I mean, go all the way through, even to the disciples of Jesus. And so, it's authentic, very real, and, and, and very public. This is the Israel songbook. Can you imagine seeing this, you know, on, in your hymnal at some place? So, what happened? How did David get to this place of desperation where he is wanting this refresh, this restart, this reboot so badly. He is in a really bad place. What led him here? Well, if you, we're not going to read these passages, but if you go back to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11 and chapter 12, you find a story, and you find that David, one evening, is out, uh, out in his palace somewhere, and he looks and he sees the wife of, of Uriah, the Hittite, his wife, Bathsheba. And she is bathing outdoors, and he falls for her. And because he's king, he can do whatever he wants. And, and perhaps at this point, he feels like he's untouchable. 
And so he summons for her, brings her into his place. He basically, I'm, I'm going to say it, he abuses her. because She ain't got no choice in this matter. There's no consent. He's the king. And if you don't do what the king says, you'll be it. And so he brings her. He abuses her. And then she gets pregnant. And then... He's worried about this. He sends her home. She's pregnant. And he's like, what do I do? What am I going to do about this? And so he comes up with a plan to bring Uriah back home. And, and his plan is, well, bring him back home from, the, from, the, uh, uh, from battle. And he's out there serving his king, sacrificing for his king. And he brings him home and, and, and says, hey, I want you to take a rest. I want you to take a break. You know, and he, ha- he entertain, you know, just t- entertains him and it makes it too late to go, you know. And, and so Uriah, he's like, go home, be with your wife, have, di- you know, dinner with her, lay down with her. So that it looks like he didn't do it, but that Uriah did it. Or Uriah was like, I'm not going to, he wasn't going to have anything to do with that. And so he's like, no, how, how could I... Lay in comfort with my wife when my men are out in the, in the fields of battle laying on the ground. How could I possibly do that? So Uriah, in this amazing move of character, in solidarity with his, with his uh, fellow soldiers, sleeps in the front yard and doesn't go in. So David doesn't like this idea. And so David comes up with another plan and sends Uriah back to the battle. And, t- and, and, base- and tells the generals out there to put Uriah and his men into a very dangerous mission. And once they're in that mission, to withdraw any help that they would have. And so that they would be surely killed, and they were. And let me just stop right there. Because who's Uriah the Hittite? Does anybody know? You don't know who he is? And I was studying this, I realized this. But Uriah the Hittite was one of David's men who was with him. When Saul was pursuing him and trying to kill him, Uriah had been with him for thick and thin. This guy was David's friend. This guy was loyal to David and now was loyal out in the battlefield. And here he is being betrayed by David. This is worse than Braveheart. And so David has him killed. And he thinks, okay. And so he brings Bathsheba into his home. And thinks he's clear. Well, Nathan the prophet comes a little later to him. And tells him a story. Tells him a story of a man who had uh, one precious little sheep. And he loved this animal and he just took care of it. And it was just this family treasure. It was all they owned. And there was a wealthy landowner who had many sheep and many herds. Took a liking to that sheep. He took that sheep away from him and killed it and ate it. He says, David, what should we do to that guy? David's like, who's the man? He should die. Well, Nathan says, guess what? David, you're that man. And he says, God knows what you did. He knows what happened with Bathsheba. And David says, I've sinned against God. I have sinned. And so this is where we find David. David has made 
a colossal mess of things. He has, he has been involved with lust, deceit, abuse, rape, adultery, murder, abuse of power, conspiracy, betrayal of a friend and a loyal soldier. I mean, this sounds like something you'd hear about happening in Washington, D.C. or something. But David has made a colossal mess of things. He has destroyed his life. Now he's plunged into darkness. And, and he, so there's this question of how could he live another day? How could he look at himself in the mirror? How could he lead his people? How could he be king? How could he have any credibility at all? He's ruined. But what happened? What happened to him? So instead of despair and, and crumbling and destruction, we find David actually triumphs he comes out a better man a better king and a better man of God as a matter of fact he comes out singing as we're going to see later in this song in this in this psalm he comes out singing not crying at the end so here's a question how does David go from this colossal mess this pile of despair to come out victorious and singing. How is that possible? I'm going to tell you. And we're going to get deeper into this. And what that looks like. But he, he comes out. Because he finds refreshing in God. He finds restoration. He finds the grace of God. And so. Let me just say personally. That this psalm has always resonated with me. Because. I know what it's like to fail miserably. I know what it's like to feel desperate and not, not know where to turn. I know what it's like to, to live in a web of lies and a mire of shame. But also, have, I know what it's like to experience that refreshing grace of God. Now, this is where we might say, well, Russell, I, I'm not that bad. I mean, David really was a He's turned out to be a real creep, you know. I mean, he's really turned out to be a jerk. I mean, he was a whore. He turned out to be a real, I'm not that bad. I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed adultery. I haven't abused anybody. I haven't done any of this stuff that he did. Well, let me just ask. Let's think about who David was. I mean, David was one of the greatest men in history. He was one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. He was a man of God. He was a talented musician, a, a poet that would write most of the Psalms in the Bible, which people even today, thousands and thousands of years later, love and cherish. He, he was a man of, of, of honor and respect, and he, wouldn't, he was a man who, who wouldn't, uh, wouldn't go against King Saul even though King Saul was coming to try to kill him. He was a man of bravery and risked his own life for the sake of his people in the face of a giant like Goliath. David was a great man. So let me ask you this. As great a man as David was, if he had that mess in him, you don't think you do? If David, of all people, had that in him and the ability for him to do that, you don't think you do. So you don't think that if you had David's power, his wealth, 
his influence, you might not do some of that stuff. Here's the reality. We all desperately need refreshing. We all need desperately the refreshing grace of God. And here's the good news. There's a call to be refreshed. There's a need. There's also a call to be refreshed. Now, this, this is where on the flip side, some of us might say, not, you know, I'm not that bad. We might say on the, the far end of this, you know, there's extremes. You know, there's like, I'm not that bad on this side. And then on the other side, it's like, I'm so bad. God would never have me back. I've done too much. I've gone too far. God just wants to cast me out. He wants to be done with me. Frankly, I'm done with me. You ever felt that? I mean, so much for God. What about, I mean, I'm done. If I'm done with me, God must be done with me. He must have been done with me a long time ago. Here's the, I think we resonate with this as people, especially now. Because we are a, we are a replacing kind of people. You know, we get a, new, we get a phone and it, we're excited about it or whatever. I mean, it doesn't take long before we're like, oh, I need a new one. You know? I, I need I need an upgrade. We do that with our cars. We do that with our houses. We do that with our clothes. You know, they say now clothes don't don't um, wear out; they ugly out, right? Um, we, that, that, we are replacing culture. It's like one of the fastest growing businesses in the United States. Guess what it is? You wouldn't believe it. It's not computers. It's not cars. It's not okay. It is self storage. It is a booming business throughout the country. Why? Because we replace stuff. And then we don't, we feel guilty or we just don't like to get rid of stuff maybe. And we just throw it in the storage unit. That is our culture today. And so we are replacing people. And so it makes sense. If it doesn't work, if it's messed up, if it's broken, this replace it. But let me tell you what. God is not a replacing God. God is a restoring God. God is not a replacing God. God is a renewing God. And here's the thing. God longs to restore us. God longs to give us grace and to show us mercy. And we see David here. He uses this term. He says, God, show mercy to me. Show mercy to me. This is a phrase that shows you how low David has gone. Because this word mercy means to show some kind of favor that is absolutely not deserved. He's saying, God, I don't deserve anything, but show me mercy. However, then he begins to use words that he has learned and knows about God that that say something about who God is. So one of the things he says, he says, um, have mercy on me, God, in verse 1, according to your steadfast love. Well, what does that mean? This, is, this comes out of the Hebrew word chesed. And chesed, it might be, oh, oh, might be a better, you might translate it, covenant love. It's a love that's been promised, and it's been promised to his people, and it's been promised in blood. <clears throat> so God is a God who has covenant love for us secondly he says first keep going 
according to your steadfast love, but then also according to your abundant mercy. And this word abundant is used throughout the Old Testament to describe numbers you can't even count. Myriads, thousands, multitudes. And he's saying God's grace is incalculable. You, it is so big, it is so amazing, so radical, so scandalous, we can't even quantify it. That's what he's saying here. This is how he is describing God. This is God. God is a God of covenant love. Unconditional, undeserved, promised love. And God's mercy is incalculable. But we see David here coming back for mercy. And it reminds me of the, of the prodigal son. Everybody's so familiar with that story. And where the prodigal son uh, d- decides he wants his share of inheritance. And he leaves. He takes his, his dad's money. Basically saying, I don't want you. I don't, all I care about is your money. I'm leaving. And he goes and he squanders that money. And wild living. And, and he ends up in the pig slop. As a Jew working uh, with pigs probably working for Gentiles, which would have been even more of a low place to be. And he says, he, com- says it com- he comes to his senses, and he decides he's going to make a deal with his father. He's going to go back and make a deal with his father. And, and his plan is, he's going to go to his father and say, Father, I, 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 I know I've messed up. I've done all this. If you'll just let me be one of your servants. And so he makes his way back. And even before he gets near, The father runs to him. And before he can say a word, the father embraces him with love and mercy. But even though, but here's the thing. Just like David, even though the the prodigal son was coming back to beg for undeserved mercy, he um, he also still uses the word father. And you see that here with David. Even though David is begging for undeserved mercy, he is at this horrible place. He is in despair and darkness. He still remembers God's covenant love and abundant mercy. But let me tell you, Jesus was not just telling us a, a neato story about a, a, a generous father, a loving father. Jesus was telling that parable to tell us who God is. That's God. A God who doesn't just wait, tapping his toe with his arms crossed, pissed because you've done such horrible things. God is a God who, in, in, in dignity, lavishly runs out to show us his grace and mercy. That's the character of God. And that's the call that comes out to us in this passage. Just come home. I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I know you're hurting. I know your brokenness. Come home. So there's a need and a call, but there's, there's a way. There's, something has to make this possible for us. And so let's recall Nathan's words back in 2 Samuel chapter 12. He, he tells da- David, you know, you're the man. This is you. You have done this. And, and David breaks and says, I have sinned against God. And David, or excuse me, Nathan amazingly says to him, you know, basically you're forgiven and you will not die. God's not going to count your sin against you. 
Now, here's the thing. What judge is a just and righteous that would just blow off everything that David did? It's remarkable. What, what judge in their right mind would say, yeah, we know that you committed, uh, what was that list? Where's my list there I had? Um, you know, m- lust, deceit, abuse, rape, adultery, murder, abuse of power, conspiracy, betrayal of a friend, a loyal soldier, and go down the list of all that he committed and just say, oh, no big deal. Well, it's just as long as you feel sorry for it. How can God just say, I'm not going to count it against you? How can God grant this request? Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. And then above, above that, blot out my transgression. How can a just, righteous God do that? Here's why. Because even before this, with David... God has already promised that he would blot out our sin, wash our iniquities through a blood sacrifice. And even then, in Israel at the time, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, there was animal sacrifices going on all the time. And as a matter of fact, this, this entire psalm continues to refer to language that refers to that sacrificial system throughout this psalm. And that sacrificial system was very picturesque. It was these poor little animals, innocent little animals, being slaughtered in a bloody mess over and over and over again, saying one thing to the people of Israel. That should be you. You should be under that knife. Your blood should be shed. Yet this paying your sin. And all of that pointed to a greater sacrifice. All of that pointed to the ultimate sacrifice that would ultimately blot out our transgressions, wash us thoroughly, and cleanse us from our sin. David's prayer here was already answered already answered in Christ. So we call out to God in our need of refreshing. The call to come home is there because the way has been made. It's only in Christ's innocent blood that could erase David's guilt. It could erase ours. Here's the thing. God is a restoring God who calls us home and calls people home all the time to be restored and refreshed. As I was going through this sermon, a story came to mind because it really resonates to Amanda and I quite a bit. Our oldest son, I, I adopted him when we got married, um, and, and we've just had a struggle. And, and to be adopted, even by one parent, there's just this this brokenness and woundedness that just they seem to carry. And I don't know if you know anybody that's ever been adopted, but it's just there. And it's just a sense of, why didn't that person choose me? And we've seen that lived out in my own son's life. And, and, and his story is right now a rough story. It's a hard one. Well, we heard of an amazing story of hope. Um, some friends of ours 
um, who adopted a, a girl when she, I don't know how old, she five or six years old. And that same woundedness she carried and continued to carry all through their life. And, 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 and as much as our friends tried to love on her and show her the gospel, whatever, she just would never receive it. And eventually, and once she got old enough, she let, let, moved out of the house, and then she started dating this guy. And this guy that they, they would describe this guy as just like the worst possible choice that she would. He wasn't a believer. He was, you know, he loved to just play video games and eat Cheetos and stuff all day. I mean, he, this, and he would, like, he would come to their family gatherings. And it was just super awkward and rough. I mean, they would just talk about how painful it is when he would come around. And they would just do their best to try to love this guy. And, and they're just thinking, man, she has totally screwed her life up. And then they hear of a story later that one, one summer, and, the, oh, and also their daughter, they had a, so they had a child together. They're not married, and it's just a big mess. Well, one summer, they are, um, uh, they are um, out in the neighborhood or something with their little girl and, or little boy, and this little group of Christians were out trying to recruit for their summer vacation Bible study thing, their VBS, Vacation Bible School, and they got this little girl interested, and so their daughter and this guy, you know, take the, start taking this girl to this little bitty Baptist church, and I say little, like, it's so small, they don't have music, they have to play a boombox, y'all know what a boombox is from the 80s, you know what I'm talking about, like one of like, I think it's tapes, too. It's not even CDs yet. Like, and this little bitty church of like 10 people with a boombox are loving on this little family and showing them grace. And this, this boyfriend of their daughter responds to this call of refreshing grace of God. And that day comes to know Jesus in that little Baptist church. And, and their daughter, adopted daughter, is also restored in her faith, and now they've been they've gotten married, and 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 God has been working in their lives. But let me tell you, it's still awkward when he's around. There's still a mess. There's still struggle, but God restores the broken. Let me tell you that from from Anna and I. It reminds me of my own story, my own story of brokenness, which is still there, as well as the story that we're seeing unfolded with our own son. And we thank God, thank you for that. Because you are restoring God. Because no one is too far gone, no one is too broken, no one's too lost, nothing. No matter how broken or marred, no one is too far gone to be restored from to restored with God. So let me ask you this. If you're not a believer and you haven't received that grace, it is open to you. No matter how bad or how far you think you've gone, and all you have to do is believe it and receive it. It is a free gift. Jesus offers you a perfect life that he lived on your behalf. He offers you his death, died to satisfy the judgment and guilt that you deserve. So that you can come home. So you can come home and, and feast the Father's table and celebrate. Now let me ask you believers, have you strayed? 
Do you feel distant? Do you feel far away? Do you feel like God maybe has cast you aside and upgraded, gone on to something else? So don't believe it. Rest in Him. Rest in His promise. Return back to Him. And He will receive you and restore. Jesus Himself said this. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God says, come to me, and I will give you rest. I'm going to pray, and as I do, I'm going to ask um, Andrew to come up. And he's going to play a song that, that really repeats this verse. Come to me, and I will give you rest. I will give you refreshing. I will restore you. I will renew you. Come to me. And so I'm going to, gonna, before we do communion this morning, I want to give you all a few moments and to, to respond to this call, the call of this verse, that we would come home, that we would return, that we would be refreshed. Let me pray as he starts. Heavenly Father, help us to come. Help us to let go of our pride that says, well, I'm not that bad. Or, or the, the reverse of that pride that would say, I'm so bad, God could never restore this. Lord, wash us of our shame. Cleanse us of our iniquity. Blot out our sins, Lord. Some of us have really continued to make a mess. Or some of us just have, have strayed a little. As we sang earlier, our hearts are prone to wonder wonder from the God that we love. So Lord, help us to come back right now.